This is his word for us. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's start by praying. Lord, what a restless world that we live in. Um, even if our bodies are confined to our homes, our minds are restlessly pacing the corridors of fear and doubt. And you know by your sovereignty, uh, the current situation and the impact that it is having on the psychology of your children. My Father, I pray that today's service would be a reversal of that effect where your children, relying upon you, would learn how to rest, uh, that we would recover Sabbath, that we'd be able to understand the principle that underlies our Sunday worship, why we're able to gather here when the rest of the world is so busy. And Father, as we come here, uh, we come to you with the only acceptable praise and offering due to you, which is Jesus. It is by his blood that we approach you. It is by his, through his split body that we enter this place, acknowledging the goodness that you have shown to us. And Father, by that name, we ask that you would bless each and every single person participating and partaking in this worship service, that they would understand the goodness of God and experience him throughout their rest for the rest of the week, Father. We ask that the Holy Spirit, that you would be uh, involved heavily in the transforming of our minds and our hearts as we listen to today's words, because only you can do that. So humbly, uh, with a thirst for the word of God, we lay our hearts bare and we wait for you to speak to us. With that, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, 2019, uh, Christmas, I had resolved to be a jogger for this year. I really wanted to jog well and, uh, and you know, lose weight, uh, whatever, you know, the health benefits. My congregation was telling me, Pastor, uh, uh, ministry is a, a long-run marathon, uh, so you have to pace yourself. And so uh, I carried on with that. I, the first thing I did when I came here was buy a treadmill. And so I hope that I'm following along with those guidelines. But... Uh, last year, Christmas, I read this, uh, I had this on my Facebook feed, <laughs> and so apparently the wicked run when no one is chasing them, and so apparently I took that verse to heart, and I am not losing any weight right now. <laughs> but um, this is basically um, a verse that really stuck with me all throughout this year. Uh, why is it that the whole world seems to be running uh, when no one is chasing them? Uh, that's a question that I had. I mean... No, all joking aside, doesn't much of life right now in 2020 feel like we're running when nobody is chasing? And we have to ask, you know, for what reason are we running uh, so fast, so hard, so quickly at breakneck speed? 
Uh, I think there was a scientific journal that said uh, humans are the only mammals that run uh, when you're afraid and you can't see. And uh, that's basically what we're doing right now. We're running so hard. And the question, it begs the question, for what reason? Um, when Ben Cross, a uh, celebrity, he played the uh, Olympic runner Harold M. Abrahams in a 1981 film called Chariots of Fire. And in that movie, he gives us an idea about why people run even when nobody is chasing. And this is what he's saying, you know, right an hour before he's going out there to run the 100-meter uh, dash. That's what he says. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again in front of the, uh, uh, the audience. And he says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, uh, that, the path that he's supposed to run, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. What he's saying is, I have 10 seconds to run down that lane, and what that's supposed to do is justify why I'm alive. And this sense of needing to justify ourselves through our performance is ingrained into us. It's Egypt being beaten into us uh, from childhood. Uh, I remember when I was in uh, preschool, I would come home and I'd have a report card, and inside that report card, there would be either a blue sticker if I got all A's, or a red sticker if I had one B in there. And so much of the happiness and the quality of my life depended on the color of that sticker. And afterwards, that's ingrained to, into us by our grades. And later on, you know, we have a resume, and based on how good that resume is, you either get accepted to a job or a position or you get denied. And somehow, what's beaten into us is something about my performance determines my value and my worth. And that is a lifetime of indoctrination that we cannot seem to ex uh, escape. We are justified by our works. So for uh, uh, Ben Cross, work and performance justified him. Somewhere along the line, running soothed his guilt for existing in the world. And you're going to find this out. It's so weird. Everyone has this need of forgiveness. They have this weird feeling of guilt for existing even, and we call that an existential crisis. For a lot of us, work is some way to deal with the trauma of existing. That's why we have this short time in this world, and we want to use it to justify why I am here. Usually before COVID, uh, this mentality would manifest itself this way. We would be overworking ourselves to find our identity and my worth and look at the paycheck that I receive and look at the fruitfulness of my work and say, I am worth this much. But strangely, after COVID, we see a new phenomenon. We have people cut off from their work, from creation, from all of that, and from their normal patterns of work. And so we have people now diving into politics and we don't see too many sports these days because, you know, they're all put on hold. And so we dive into politics or anything on the news looking for a new venue of justification. We're asking as we look online, how can my life have meaning right now? What justifies my existence? And it's not work anymore. It's not, it's not you know, sports anymore. We have to find something to invest ourselves into. And thus we have the chaos that we have today. People justifying their existence by external things that are happening in the world. As a direct result, uh, what happens? Um, out of all of this, what happens? 
uh, we have a pandemic of restlessness. Uh, we cannot rest. Remember, yesterday night, I finished my sermon, uh, prayed, and then I made the stupid mistake of logging onto Facebook and reading through my feeds. Caught into the left, caught into the right, all these arguments between church leaders. My mind was like, are we ever going to return to something called normal? Uh, can, can we ever agree upon what is fact? Can we ever agree upon what a coherent worldview will be? And I lost so much rest, even though my body was on the bed. Minds are racing, running, even though no one's chasing. And so, when your body is resting and your mind is consumed, this is what happens. Even though you go through the emotions of rest, so in other words, even though you're here right now and you say this is your Sabbath, something is going on in the back burner of your mind that is not giving you true rest. There is something that is fueling you, and if that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is something that you are latching onto, whether it's other people, other relationships, external things like politics or science. There's something that causes us deep unrest that causes us to justify ourselves. What we want to do today is very simple. We need to redeem biblical rest. We really need to be able to rest. Amen? Amen. We need to rest, and this, remember, this is the Imago Dei, the Image of God series. We need to rest how? As children of God rest. We need to know how to rest as children of God rest. So how do they rest? How do children of God rest? That's what everything else in this sermon is about. Exodus 16, 25 through 30 is nested between uh, three, uh, two similar incidents. And so there's a continuum of three stories that show what's happening uh, is emphasizing Israel's grumblings in the wilderness. And so every, every, every time of these three incidents, we see Israel grumbling because of a lack of an element that is vital to their survival, and they're grumbling, and it's followed by God's miraculous provision of that element, which stories number one and three is related to water. So you have two water-providing you know, incidents. And then today, what you read today in today's text is a passage relating to God's providence of food in the form of manna in response to Israel's grumblings for lack of food. And what's really interesting is here manna and food and rest and Sabbath are intertwined into one passage and there's a deep relationship that we really have to understand to apply rest to our lives today. So what God is commanding in today's text is something really, really simple. Rest on Sabbath. Rest on the Sabbath day. Yet what's so interesting is that Israel is so confused by the simple and profound command that they disobey God. Some people disobey him by going out to gather more manna on, on the Sabbath, and some people disobey him by gathering too much on the Sabbath and leaving it until Monday, hoping that it would still be there, and it all rots away. So different forms of disobedience, but the same impulse. They didn't know how to rest. They didn't know how to rest. Because if you look at them, they had been slaves to Egypt for 400 years. And so generation upon generation, they had been learning that their work is what defines them. Slaves are defined by the service that they provide. And the Israelites have now defined by themselves by what they do. And the, uh, and the reward that re they received was what? Food. And so this is a very basic and primal instinct that's going on in the hearts 
of Israelites right now. If they aren't receiving food, there's an existential crisis. And they can't rest until they have gotten that food. Now, similarly, we also have to be conditioned out of our own slavery. Now, we don't fight for food these days unless you are, you know, uh, in a poverty-stricken country. Uh, we don't fight for water these days, but there are similar things, elements in our lives that we fight tooth and nail over. So, examples. Physically, we work ourselves to death to get the body and the health that we want. Communally, we work ourselves to death to gain the acceptance that we crave from other people, the like culture on Facebook, the like culture on Instagram, showing my best so that the world would acknowledge. We do that to ourselves in slavery, right? Then politically, we work ourselves to death to establish the identity and the value that I believe society owes me, right? And it's all the political fights today happening today. We see that it's actually people still having Egypt ingrained in them. Politically, we work ourselves to death to get the identity and the class that we feel that we deserve. And finally, religiously, we work ourselves to death, restlessness, because we want to make ourselves acceptable to a holy and a perfect God, which is impossible. So no wonder if you're Christian or whether you're atheist, we are all right now restless because we're fighting to do something that we cannot do. But the irony of this is this. Uh, these things do not last. They're transient. Verse 21 says that the manna melts away later. So you had a specific time frame to gather that manna. And the same thing, the things that we fight for right now, that we fight so hard over, they don't last forever. They don't give us eternal satisfaction. And so we are tr striving for transient things that can't actually satisfy us. And we struggle for this every day. And here's the thing. Everything we struggle for, it has an expiration date. It does. Everything that we struggle for has an expiration date. And this is for a good reason. God has a divine pattern in why things have an expiration date. Why is it? Because he doesn't want us to commit the sin of relying upon things that are not eternal, but to rely upon him alone. Manna has an expiration date. Our work has an expiration date. Everything that we fight for has a transient nature. Why? Because it's designed to keep us focused on God. If you don't believe so, then every day and tirelessly, we have to go out there and gather manna due to a sense of existential deficiency. And there's three principles that we want to talk about in today's sermon, and this is the first one. Deficiency and rest cannot coexist. Deficiency and rest cannot coexist. If there's something that is not enough, you have to do something further. For example, uh, how much sleep did you get yesterday night? If you didn't get enough, on the underside of that, you have to feel that you have to rest more today. And if you didn't get enough yesterday, you feel that you have to carry on that work and get enough today because deficiency and rest cannot coexist. So, if deficiency and rest cannot coexist, what is the foundation of our rest then? How can we actually rest if deficiency and rest cannot coexist? Well, it's the exact opposite. Sufficiency and rest coexist. If you have enough, you can rest. And so, sufficiency through God's providence 
is what we need to rest. And so we have verse 29. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, what? He gives you bread for two days. So very simply put, what's the formula? You can rest on the seventh day because what? On the sixth day, you have enough. You get that? On the sixth day, you have enough. That's why Sabbath is possible. What God is communicating here is a very simple promise. God will provide two days worth of manna on the sixth day so that we can rest. And that's the formula for all rest. And I'll get to that later. God gives you enough to not work but worship. God gives you enough to not work but worship. In other words, the Lord gives you rest, and then the Lord also provides the resources necessary for you to rest. So the command to rest and the resources. And what he's saying is that the God who created all the universe with infinite energy, creativity, and productivity and benevolence, he will take care of you even if you are passive, you're sleeping, or you're worshiping. Because what? Why does God promise this? It's too simple. Because we are his children. That's the foundation of rest. God provides for us as his children. That's why you can rest. I mean, we don't rest because of fatigue, right? God didn't rest because of fatigue. Like Sabbath, Shabbat in Hebrew, is that it actually means to cease and desist, to stop. In other words, God wasn't tired and so he had to rest. God was saying, even despite my infinite powers, I am going to stop purposefully on a day, not because I need rest, but to send a message. What is that message? You can rest also because this is God's world. and You can trust in him. That's the foundation for rest. So this is why Sabbath is so important. What we do on Sabbath is so important because it's only possible to rest on this day if you trust in God. In other words, the second principle that we want to talk about today is this. It takes faith to rest. It takes faith to rest. It takes faith to tear your eyes away from your own deficiencies and turn it to a God who has no deficiencies. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith not to look at your circumstances anymore, not to look at what you have or don't have, not to look at what you're doing or not doing, and to focus upon a God who is, what? By his very nature, sufficient. The I am that I am. That's where rest happens, by taking your eyes by faith and placing it upon God, right? And so the the, the whole... Uh, the whole series that we're doing right now has one underlying golden thread. What is that? Keep your eyes focused on God. We've been through this, right? Keep your eyes focused on God because that's the only way to worship Him. It's the only way to be God's children. It's the only way, as we'll look into next week, it's the only way to form relationships. It's the only way to serve your family. And here, it's the only way to work and rest by looking to God and trusting in Him. So, here's what happens. If you don't trust any of God's qualities, then rest is impossible. For example, you need good theology to actually rest. For example, if God is all-knowing, he's omniscient, but he's not all-powerful, then what do you have to do to make up for that? You can't rest because you have to make up for God's lack of power, right? 
And then if God is all-powerful, but he's not all-knowing, then you can't rest because you've got to do God's research for him. You get that? And if God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing, but look at this, if he is evil, yeah, then you're right to run when no one's chasing because God is actually chasing after you. An all-powerful and all-knowing God who doesn't have your best interest in mind. So yeah, you're right to be existentially disturbed and restless all the time. But it's only when you look at Scripture and you take God's Word as it is and you, you believe what God has revealed about Himself to be true. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and yet good. Then you can rest. It takes theology to know God and rest. Now, even though, so if you don't trust in the goodness of God, what happens is verse 27 of today's text. I'll read it for you. For you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather manna, but they found none. Now, I really want you to almost memorize this verse. Nevertheless, the people went out on the seventh day to gather manna, but they found none. This is the statement of our lives. Let's transphrase this in other, other you know, combinations. Nevertheless, some of you will still neglect to worship and rest on Sabbath, but you will go to work over time to finish a project, only to find out that because of your stellar performance, your boss gives you more work to do. That's what happens. You get none, right? Nevertheless, some of you will go to your children's soccer practice instead of worship to invest into your children only to discover that your children need God more than soccer skills. When we neglect Sabbath worship and we focus on other areas where we sense deficiency, no manna and no rest. You get the worst of both worlds. You pursue something and in doing so you don't rest but you don't actually get what you're actually looking for, which is true fulfillment. And so, no rest, no manna. If any of you are here, not trusting in the goodness of God today, to rest and fully worship Him, then you're not resting right now, you're not in your beds right now, and you're not getting what you're looking for. That is irony. So what's so funny about this is what's going on in the mind of an Israelite right now in verse 27. Basically, the Israelite is telling himself, I need to go out and labor to eat six days. But, okay, so six days God provided manna, but here's the thing. But will God really provide for me on the seventh day? Will I have enough? Of course. Why? Of course. Because he's been, God has been supernaturally feeding you with manna for all seven days. Manna was supernatural. It didn't grow off the ground. It came from the heavens. God gave it to them. And so for six days he gave it. And the question of the Israelites is, will I also have it on the seventh day? It is nonsense to believe that God will provide for you enough for all six days supernaturally without your labor. And then you still feel that, oh, but what about the seventh day? God doesn't provide for you one extra day on Sabbath so that you can rest. God has been providing for you every single day. 
All seven days are a work of His supernatural providence. Therefore, as a logical extension of that, the seventh day, rest is possible because He's been providing and providing. So please remember verse 27. We're going to read this verse in a different way, okay? So we're going to add some words here. Nevertheless, some of the people, and then in parentheses, who didn't trust in God went out on the seventh day, parentheses, because of their deficiencies, but they found none, no manna, no rest. The people who didn't trust in God went out on the seventh day because of their deficiencies, and they found no manna and no rest. And that is a typical workday for many Americans today. They went out because of their deficiencies, finding no satisfaction and no rest. Restless. That's why the psalmist cries out to the unbelieving world. Psalm 127.2 It is in vain that you rise up early. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Or what? The, the, the way that this verse finishes is, is absolutely beautiful. He says, For God gives rest to his beloved. He gives sleep to his beloved. In other words, there's one category of people who wake up early and go late to rest, eating bread of what? Anxious toil. Existentially anxious toil. And then there's another category of people who what? Who sleep and who rest because they trust in God because God loves them. They're God's children. Imagine if I wake up at 3 a.m., okay, so I'm at home, and I wake up at 3 a.m. and I hear this weird sound and a weird smell and I go downstairs and I find my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and she's cooking herself some pasta for the next day, for example, right? And I ask her, honey, like, why are you making pasta and you're not sleeping? And what if she replied to me, uh, because, Dad, I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to have enough food for tomorrow. Number one, that's her eating anxious bread. <laughs> that's anxious toil. And number two, what does that do to me? That is a slap to my face because she's saying, Dad, I don't trust you to feed me tomorrow. <laughs> when it's the duty of a child to rest and grow well because everything else the father will take care of. Right? So we apply this very easily in our, in our homes. But what about our spiritual lives? How late do we sleep? How often are we anxious because we feel to some extent, God does not have my best interest in mind. Number one, that's you being anxious. Number two, that's a slap to God's character. He loves you. He loves you. He's demonstrated that all throughout our lives and in recorded history. You are God's beloved children. That's so important. It's the daily task of a pastor, and I said this twice now already. It's my third time. The daily task of a pastor is to remind his congregation who you are in Christ. You are God's children. And everything about our lives can be changed by that single fact. You are God's children. Every piece of sanctification that we need, every, every action or inaction that we need to change and fix comes from one foundation. You are God's children. And God provides for you. That's enough to change everything. I remember um, 
back in my previous ministry, I did a lot of uh, family-to-family dates. Uh, we we uh, went to the backyard of a family. We had barbecues together, and we'd be eating together, just having a good time. And because we're young families, we had, you know, a lot of children. Uh, and our children would be eating food well. And, you know, uh, for example, this would happen. Uh, this this uh, deacon would uh, cook an awesome barbecue. And my, my children would be eating like crazy, just eating and eating and eating. And it comes to the point that I get embarrassed. And I'm like, and so, you know, you have this nervous laugh. And you say in Korean, in English, it means basically, you know, uh, you're eating as if we never fed you at home. <laughs> and it's embarrassing, right? Because they're eating so hard and so fast. And that's what happens when Christians work anxiously, live anxiously, and rest without resting. Basically, God is looking at us and saying, hey, <laughs> You're, hey, that you're working like you're not my son. <laughs> you're working as if I don't feed you or I don't clothe you or I don't give you meaning and purpose. You're working as if I'm a bad father. You see, when we work and cannot rest, we're saying to the world, you can't trust God. You've got to fend for yourself. Sometimes the best evangelism that a Christian, Christian can do is this. Be happy, rest well, work while enjoying it. That's enough of an evangelistic model for today. If people see you well-rested, if people see you work happily, if people see you smile because you're happy, that's enough of a statement of God's character, the God that you worship. And in this sense, do you see what God is doing through Sabbath? So God is trying to train you to be God's children. That's what he's trying to do. And Sabbath is his mechanism of of training you to prepare for kingdom life in the afterlife, right? So for example, okay, we have the seventh day. After the sixth day, it's the Sabbath. And in the Sabbath, God is basically telling us, trust me enough to rest today. Instead of being obsessed with productivity, Instead of, wor- instead of working so hard, worship me today because I can produce a lot more good than you can on this day. So worship me, I will give you rest. That's why Sabbath is not about just stopping work. It's about what? Keeping it holy to worship God because he can do enough for us. And then next, you have the seventh year. So not the seventh day, but the seventh year, which we call a sabbatical year. And in that year, God is saying, trust me enough that I will provide crops for you to last all throughout this year. In fact, God is also saying, you know, in, in Leviticus, basically saying, let the land rest. And on the sixth year, I will give you enough for how many years? Three years. I'll get, let the land rest. Don't do any harvesting or, 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 you know, planting. Let it rest, and I'll give you enough for three years. Trust in God for three years without working. <laughs> if our companies did this, uh, we'd be going bankrupt, right? This is a spiritual principle that God is saying, you need to train for kingdom life. And then seven cycles of seven years, 49 years passes, and then what's the 50th year? Jubilee. On Jubilee, what happens? We declare all debts forgiven. We, all servants and slaves are freed. And also what's happening? You don't sow or reap because what is God telling us? He's telling us, Do everything out of abundance. Trust me, even if you have to let go of everything in your life. Because 
to the degree that you let go, I can fill. God is preparing us for heaven. And we come to the eternal seventh-day Sabbath that Pastor Daniel was preaching about last week, the completed work of God in creation where God finally tetelestai Jesus cries out upon the cross. It is finished, and he sits down, and then the eternal rest of God happens, and we resume rest in heaven while also working for God's kingdom. And God is saying, how do you live that eternal life? Trust in him, resting, but also working. So God is teaching us how to be children through Sabbath today. He's teaching you to trust in him. So trust in God is the only way to rest. And the only remaining question is this. I uh, need your attention for the last part. Principle number three. How do you trust God? How do you trust God? How do you know that God is trustworthy? Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we can trust in God when we look to Jesus. We can trust in God by looking at the historical fact of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Why is the gospel so important for all these sermons, every single sermon leading back to the nature of God displayed through the gospel culminating in the cross? Why is it so crucial? Because through it, all of the Christian life comes forth in abundance. If you look to Jesus, you can trust God and his character, and you can rest. That's the simple, logical flow of today's sermon. Don't work for yourself. Rest in God by trusting in him. How do you know you can trust in him? Look at Jesus. John 6, 30-35, the Pharisees were gathered around Jesus, and they say to him, What sign do you do, Jesus, that we may see and believe you? In other words, they're asking, How can we trust you? And interestingly, they go back to this, and they, they ask you, What work do you perform? And so the, where the Pharisees' mind goes back to when it comes to trusting in God is this. They say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And it's quoting from today's scripture, right? So the Pharisees are quoting, quoting this, and Jesus says to them what? Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. Okay? Moses didn't give that bread, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. My Father does. And so God was proven trustworthy, right? And for the bread of God is he he personalizes this bread and he says, it's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is where all of us say the same thing. We all say this. Sir, give us this bread always. Why do we need this bread always? Because we want to rest. We want to rest. And so basically this is a heart cry of all humanity who suffers under the curse of Adam and Cain, who has to work for their living, work for their existence, work for their justification, those people say this, give me your providence always so I can rest because we're so tired. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You can rest in Jesus. The cross was where God distributed the true manna that would last forever. 
the true manna that, last, that lets us rest forever. Do you get that? The cross basically shows us you can rest. God has your best interest in mind. He will bring about his kingdom. He's fulfilled it, not in your work, but Jesus' work. Your work does not contribute to the coming of the kingdom. Jesus' work fulfilled it. Therefore, you can rest. And the cross is where cycles upon cycles of Sabbath rest, weeks upon weeks and years upon years of sabbaticals, it culminates in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's work is perfected in the cross and not your works. So, your works is not a necessity. It's a it's an expression of God's nature, as we talked about last week. So if your work is not a necessity to survive, then what's the conclusion? You can rest every now and then. Your heart can rest and afford to worship God when the rest of the world is still being productive. This is a powerful statement. When you come here and you worship God, you're saying what? I trust God so much that I don't have to work for myself today. I am so secure in who I am as God's child that I don't need to build my identity with the few hours it takes to worship God. In fact, worshiping God does so much more for who I am than my work. And those people, they say, I want to worship every day. Give me sebekido. Give me Wednesday night prayer. I want to come to church not because I am groveling for my existence, but because I'm receiving it from an abundant and sufficient God. Your presence here is a statement to the world that God is enough, and you can rest. The beauty of Sabbath. All other religions and philosophies, it starts from deficiency, and we have to strive for sufficiency. This is linear, karma-based, cause-effect religion, where it says you have to earn your way, but only Christianity, in Christianity, does God work so that his children can rest. Only in Christianity did God take the initiative so that you can be satisfied and fulfilled in him. If redemptive work is all about God providing for a people who couldn't provide anything for themselves, when we were still sinners, even if that involved the death of his own son, the logical conclusion is this, how much more so will God provide for you today? If he gave you his son, all of himself, how much more so will he give you your daily bread, your daily needs, your daily need for camaraderie and intimacy and love and satisfaction? How much more so will God give you that if he gave you one and only son? John 3.16 must be always repeating in our minds, God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, therefore everything else in this life works out and I can rest. Now these verses start making sense. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because all these things will be added onto you. Everything else, your father is covering it. Psalm 121.4 Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, so you can sleep. Amen? God doesn't sleep so we can sleep. (laughs) He works so that we don't have to. Not for survival, but for fun. (laughs) But just to express his nature. Therefore, therefore, what's the conclusion? Come to me, all you, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen? 
And finally, the verse that I love. Let's go to that, that verse. I want to share it with us together and feel this. There is a, a picture that I wanted to share with you. And it says, 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. ACPC, cast your cares upon him and rest. Rely upon Jesus because he gave you the Sabbath. Trusting in him, you will find meaning and purpose and value and affirmation, forgiveness and redemption, and you can rest. Now every day can be a Sabbath. Your deficiency is gone, and your sufficiency is found in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, 400 years of Egypt have been beaten into us. And we are the most anxious Christians. And this generation has the most anxiety-driven people needing all sorts and forms of medication, looking to all self-help books and remedies, all religions east and west to try to calm this fear in our hearts that I don't have enough. Thank you for the cross, Father, for demonstrating in an incarnational way, showing to the world that you are trustworthy and different from all other gods, all other philosophies, all other worldviews. You alone are the great I am. You are sufficient and your children are well cared for. Father, we want to confess today, we are your children. All of our needs have been met, Lord. Thank you for letting us work with power and compassion and not because of a survival instinct. And thank you for letting us rest knowing that you are enough. We have enough. We are like millionaires who have all of our assets in a bank. And so even if we have just a penny in our pockets right now, we know we have enough. We know we have enough. As Christians, we have an eternal legacy waiting for us in heaven. We have the very name of God through Jesus Christ himself. So even in this world, when we feel like we don't have enough, we know by truth we have enough, Father. Let that cause work tomorrow to be different. Last week, we asked that work would be different because it's for your glory. But Father, tomorrow we want to be able to rest well because you fight for your own glory. And we reap the benefits of that battle. You fight for your own glory, Father. And we will rest on Monday as if it was a Sabbath. We will not be anxious, Father. We will not run when nothing's chasing us. We will not be our own prison, Father. But we will practice Sabbath rest, the sabbatical year, the jubilee year, knowing that it will one day last forever. And only those who know how to rest will be in God's kingdom and, and enjoy it. Until that day comes, would you beat Egypt out of us, Father? <laughs> would you teach us how to rest? And even if we work, not work out of anxiety, you are so good to us, Father. You're a good Father. 
we will stop making meals for ourselves at 3 a.m. <laughs> and we will trust in you. And all of God's satisfied people said, Amen. Amen.